The No Filter Podcast, produced by students at the New Zealand Broadcasting School. This week, National Party leader Judith Collins joins us. Well, I tell you what, I reckon she's looking really worried at me. She's not smiling at me these days. I've taught her to say Auntie Quasha. I thought you wanted to ask me about euthanasia. More important for older people. Um. (laughs) RNZ reporter Joe Moyer wraps up a pretty straightforward week in politics. Yeah, I mean, David Seymour will be um, doing quite a bit of fist pumping, I imagine, after that Colmar Brunton poll. And Nick takes a look at the upcoming cannabis referendum. Twenty twenty. Election year. On September nineteen, millions of Kiwis will head to the polling booths to cast their votes and decide who is in charge of Aotearoa for the next three years. People our age, the eighteen to twenty-five year olds of New Zealand, are notorious for not getting amongst the political system. Together we comment, tag, react and share moments like this. Flushing! Okay, boomer. My fucking good idea. Get some guts! But pay absolutely no attention to the bland, boring crap like this. Doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it? I'm Mitch Redman. And I'm Nick James. And we're here to chat politics with no filter. This week on the No Filter Podcast, we ditched covering the minor parties in Parliament and have moved into the big leagues, interviewing National Party leader Judith Collins. But who is Judith Collins? Judith started in Parliament way back in 2002, after she won her electorate seat in Clevedon, Auckland. She has represented this seat for two terms, then after the electorate map was redrawn and Clevedon no longer existed, she then went for Papakura and crushed the competition by 10,000 votes. She has not only been the MP for Clevedon and Papakura, but has also been the Government Minister for Revenue, Energy and Resources, Ethnic Communities, Police and Corrections and Justice during the John Key and Bill English National Governments, to name a few. Her time as Police and Justice Minister were particularly notable after introducing the policy which allowed boy racers' cars to be crushed, giving her the nickname Crusher Collins. Um, I am sort of hoping that the National Party will collectively crush the other lot. All this makes Judith Collins one of the most experienced members of the National Party at the moment, shoring up her support for taking the reins of the party earlier this year after the much more inexperienced Todd Muller bowed out of the leadership after just 52 days in the job. As said before, the National Party is one of two major parties in Parliament, but just in case you are not into politics at all, here's a bit of a rundown of who they are and what they represent. The Nats were started way back 84 years ago in 1936, making them the second oldest existing party after Labour. In that time they've formed five governments and have spent more time in government than any other party. In terms of what they represent, they are centre-right of the political spectrum, meaning that they believe that New Zealanders should pay less tax and that there should be limited regulation of businesses in Aotearoa, giving a more free market economy comparatively, for example, what the Labour Party or the Green Party may believe. After that extended introduction, here is our interview with National Party leader and leader of the opposition, Judith Collins. Awesome. Hey, well, so we'll get straight into it. So um, first up, you went to university in both Canterbury and Auckland, where you obtained your master's in taxation studies and law. How were your university days and did you enjoy them? Yeah, I enjoyed them far too much when I was in Canterbury <laughs> and somehow managed to um, 
survive two years and to pass my exams, which I thought was pretty extraordinary because I couldn't find the, I didn't find the library until <laughs> the third term of the, the um, first year. So in those days we had terms rather than uh, semesters. And um, we didn't used to do much internal assessment or essays and things. We used to, most of it was on the um, exam. Somehow I managed to survive. I have no idea how. I think everyone else was um, partying more than I was. <laughs> anyway, when we, um, I sort of got a bit more serious and um, everyone else was a bit more serious. So I thought I'd just be more serious too. <laughs> that, that's brilliant. Hey, so you went from being a lawyer to then joining parliament. What was it about politics that captured your interest? Well, it's always fun. I mean, even the bad times are good. Um, hugely interesting. And after 20 years as a lawyer and public company director, you know, it's just sometimes you just need another challenge. And also, the other main reason was because someone told me I shouldn't do it. <laughs> so that just made me want to do it because that's what I'm like. I have a contrarian streak that is very strong. And I just love it when people tell me I can't do something, shouldn't do something. Um, it would be bad for me. All those things. I think, oh, yeah, I should do that then. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and the, the last few weeks have been quite publicly turbulent for the National Party with resignations and sacking and leadership changes. How has the first few weeks in the top job been and you're starting to settle in now? Yeah, it's, you know, it's only been there two weeks. It feels like two months. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it, I just had to make some tough calls and you just do what you have to do sometimes and just move on. And so that's what I've done. It's been pretty... It's been uh, pretty bruising. Certainly, the first week or so was pretty bruising, and um, but apart from that, it's all good. Awesome. So we're sort of jumping into a bit more of policy discussion now. Um, there's been a lot of policy announcements that have been unfortunately kind of overshadowed um, these last few weeks with transport packages, infrastructure projects, um, and incentives to give businesses money for employing new workers. Could you just give us a brief um, rundown of these major announcements for people who might not be aware? Thank you very much. So there's, um, we've got a lot of announcements coming. We're, mm -hmm. we're doing um, a couple of weeks, basically, at the moment. And some days it's going to get a lot more than that, some weeks. It's really saying about how, you know, the COVID-19 thing has been such, um, such an opportunity to sit back and to say, okay, so how can we do things better and how can we take advantage of this extremely difficult economic time that New Zealand's going into. And we've, you know, had some pretty good results, I'd say really good results on the health um, area. But the problem is, is that that's very predicated on essentially closing our borders for all but a few people coming in and then going to quarantine. But we need to get people back into work. So the current government put in place a wage subsidy scheme, which we supported because you know, you've just got to keep people working. Um, but that finishes the 1st of September. And even though it's only been going for a few months, it has actually cost $13 billion, which is so big. Um, most, most of us are sitting there thinking, whoa, um, that's enormous. So what we've done is said, well, we need to get people back into work. Infrastructure is one of those things we don't have enough of in New Zealand. Um, whether it's roading, water storage, um, clean water, all those sorts of things that we probably don't, well, we know we don't have enough of. And if we can get people working, if we're having to borrow money, at least borrow it to get people working and, um, and actually building our economy, um, but also not just in those areas, but in technological areas as well. So 
we're pretty keen on making sure that you know, things like the ultra-fast broadband, which we put in place when we were in government, continues its rollout and finishes up all around the country. Those sorts of things are things we think we should be doing now. Um, so uh, that's one. We, um, uh, we announced some big roading projects in top half of North Island. We've also announced some in places like Wairapa and Palmerston North. We have um, $14 billion set aside for, for roadings in the in transport areas um, in the rest of the, the of New Zealand, which sounded really big when I announced it, but then I found out that the government had spent thirteen billion dollars in the wage subsidy, <laughs> with no plan as to how to come out. So you know, I, I'm very worried about the money. COVID nineteen will obviously be a major player for young people now and for generations of Kiwis to come. Um, could you talk to us about some of the measures the National Party have introduced to combat the economic and societal impacts of COVID? Yeah, well, the, one of the areas is around the infrastructure spend, but we've also announced um, some policy around actually allowing people who have been made redundant uh, from their work because of the COVID-19 to be able to access uh, some of their own KiwiSaver funds to start a business, giving people um, some grants to help them with it and um, accounting financial advice helping people to, to try and take some control of their lives because we've got a whole lot of people who are highly qualified, um, highly intelligent, highly motivated, suddenly out of work. You know, I can think of people like pilots or, you know, travel agents or people in financial, all sorts of people. And those people are people who can be retrained, who have very good skills, um, but they're not necessarily quite in the area that they want to move. But, you know, they have other things they can learn. Um, so we, what we're really keen doing is if we can help them uh, set up a business that they, where, where the business plan makes sense, then why wouldn't we? And the answer is, well, we could put them on the dole, see what happens. But I, I, I think they, they actually want to be in work. Um, we have about 360,000 people at the moment getting the wage subsidy. Um, not all of those people will lose their jobs, um, but quite a few of them will. I think it's a pretty sad time and everything that we do, we're going to be announcing is a huge emphasis on jobs and also, um, you know, the tertiary institutions like Canterbury University, and that, they all have benefited from international students. And as you will know, um, it's really hard for any international students to come into New Zealand and yet we need to be able to have their income that they bring with them or, you know, what they bring with them to help, um, our universities uh, stay solvent and to be able to also, it adds to the whole, um, say the whole experience of university, having people from different countries, different backgrounds, it's good for us. And um, so our big focus is going to be on the economy, but also on how we can open those borders in a safe way, because we're not going to do it unless we can do it safely. Awesome. And um, we just want to cover um, another major part of the election will be some of the referendums that are part of it. Um, the cannabis referendum is a, is a major part of the 2020 general election um, and a particularly important issue for young people. Uh, what are your views on this referendum and why do you hold them? Right. Um, I thought you wanted to ask me about euthanasia. More <laughs> oh. important for older people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, 
this might shock you, but there are some young people who are not at all interested in cannabis. <laughs> and, um, and there are also uh, some older people who are. So I think it is very much, um, it's, not, it's not age specific. What um, my views are and the views of the National Party have been is that we will be voting against the cannabis referendum on the basis that in particular we're very concerned around mental health issues that are coming our way and we've seen a lot of increase in anxiety uh, from the COVID-19 lockdown. So we're very concerned that the, the messages we give out are contrary um, around cannabis are are that this is actually not a good self-medication when uh, particularly if you're suffering from anxiety or, or any other form of mental health issues. So we are voting against it. Um, the other thing, of course, uh, to remember is that we've said that if the uh, referendum were to be in favour of um, uh, legalising uh, recreational cannabis, then we would uh, respect that as, as a party. We respect the views of people um, who had voted on that and so we would um, introduce and get past legislation to respect it. Mm. So it's like we've got our views, people have theirs, we will accept the majority. Next up on the No Filter podcast, Nick has a look at the upcoming cannabis referendum. Will you be voting yes or voting no come September? Here is... What the f- We may or may not be all familiar with this noise, but in a short amount of time it may be legal to smoke weed. So we are here to tell you how or how not to make this happen through a process called referendums. But if you want to know how particularly referendums work, check out episode 4 of the No Filter podcast, as in this episode we're going to talk about specifically the cannabis referendum. The cannabis referendum will be held at this year's general election on September 19th, This means that at the ballot box, not only will you get asked who you want to vote for, but if you want to legalise weed. This idea was originally championed way back in the 2017 election by the Green Party, where they said as an agreement to support the Labour government, they would hold a referendum on cannabis in the 2020 election. But enough of that boring political stuff, you're probably wondering what it will allow you to do. Unfortunately for some, it's not free reign, it will be a pretty strictly controlled market with rules. Some of these rules will be that only 20 year olds can buy it, you can only smoke it in private or licensed properties, and you have the ability to only grow 4 plants per household. There will also be shops where you can legally buy cannabis from up to only 14 grams in order to get rid of the local tinny houses around the country. After reading all that, it really doesn't sound like Aotearoa will become the weed Rastafarian utopia where it's 4.20 all the time and all we eat is brownies that many people make it out to be. That's because people who brought the bill to parliament, like Green MP Chloe Swalbrook, who we interviewed on the podcast, argue that it is to protect communities and actually won't change anything about the availability of the substance. So the point of cannabis legalisation and control is to say, hey, prohibition hasn't fixed this problem. We have the opportunity to impose a legal framework of control and regulation, which increases community wellbeing and decreases drug harm based on evidence. Then on the other side of the aisle, 
People argued that we're just making another harmful substance legal, which is the thought process the National Party and the New Zealand First Party have taken. At the end of the day, it is a controversial bill that has brought up a lot of tension between both sides of the opinion on weed. But really, it is up to you. Do you want to recreationally, legally, regulatorily smoke weed every day? Smoke weed every day. We'll see on September 19th. Hey, um, I've just got a few questions to start wrapping things up. Just some questions that young people might be interested in knowing that perhaps the mainstream media aren't asking. Um, so the first oh, question, <laughs> the, the, um, the first question I've got is throughout the lockdown, um, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern became known as Auntie Cindy to many people across New Zealand. If you win the election in September, would you be open to becoming Auntie Judith? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And in fact, I already am for some. Um, i tell you what, I've got, I've got this, uh, one of my good friends who, um, she's got a grandchild who's now two and a half, and she's such a little cutie, and they've taught her to say Auntie Quasha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And, um, much nicer than Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very cute. Hey, and one of your um, more famous policies while being in government in, um, involved crushing boy races' cars. Do you think that those people may have grown up perhaps over the years and might be voting for National this election? Oh, I think they love me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they, they know that I'm actually a bit of a petrol head. Um, but why they what I'm doing is killing themselves or anyone else. Absolutely. And um, a few years ago in a Women's Weekly article, it was reported that you're a huge rugby and league fan. Um, unfortunately, the Chiefs nor the Warriors are doing all that well at the moment. Um, do you have a message for either of those teams to get them up the ladder a wee bit? They probably need me to come and give them a good pet talk. Um, <laughs> so while, while they're, they're not behaving quite so well, um, the Blues are actually doing a little bit better. So, you know, look, I, I just I do enjoy rugby and league and... Um, you know, having, um, you know, it's, it's, I like contact sport. Let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. When, and I played netball, when I played netball when I was a, a much younger person, it was quite contact sport in those days. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Hey, and you've been a politician for about 20 years now and have seen plenty of governments come through and leave. What have you made of Jacinda Ardern's first term as Prime Minister? And do you think you'll be able to knock her out of her seat come September? Well, I tell you what, I reckon she's looking really worried at me. She's not smiling at me these days. I don't know why. Um, so uh, I think I think I think we've got a we've got a reasonable chance. I'm uh, playing. I'm playing to win, and um, and I'm very positive, excited person. I'm so thrilled to have this position, and I just want the next job. That's great. And hey, just last question I've got is: um, if you had a message to young people who are you know, potentially disengaged from politics or not thinking about voting this election, why should they vote and why should they party vote national? Well, they should vote because um, it's actually quite fun and they should vote party vote national because I'm the most fun of all. And that was National Party leader Judith Collins. Next up on the No Filter podcast, we're super fortunate to have RNZ political reporter Joe Moyer join us, who also happens to be the chairperson of Parliament's Press Gallery. Over to you, Nick James. The week that was. First up, um, it seems that this week has been sort of centred around polls, with um, News Hub's Read Research poll kicking off the week, polling national at quite a disastrous sort of 25.1%, then the One News Colmar Brunton poll polling the Nats at 32%. 
What does all this polling mean for the National Party and Judith Collins? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not a comfortable position for National to be in. Um, it's interesting, actually, because Judith Collins has previously said that she thinks 35 is a bad number for, for any leader. And obviously, um, both of those polls we've seen this week have been below that. Um, she's not going to be taking her own advice and um, giving up the leadership because, quite frankly, there aren't really any options left at this point. So um, she will be hanging in there, but it's you know, we're heading out onto the campaign trail in a week. Uh, there's, you know, one week left in Parliament next week. And um, and then it will be all on. And there's not a lot of time. We've got, you know, early voting kicks off in a few weeks. Um, and then it's just kind of hitting the ground running. So it's not a great position for the National to be in. In terms of those polls, uh, one positive for Judith Collins was that she did have quite um, a jump in terms of the preferred PM rating and that approval rating in the Colmar Brunton poll. Um, so that is good for her, but you would expect to see a bounce normally in that party vote with a new leader. Um, we did see that with Todd Muller. We haven't seen that with Judith Collins, which is interesting. And, and you know, those MPs that are on the list and um, don't have safe seats in the National Party will be really sweating about that because actually on that Colmar Brunton poll, 13 MPs would be gone. So it is a lot um, and it is a bit of a worry for them. And yeah, I mean, that news hub poll, Read Research poll, obviously they, National sort of came out straight away within a minute of it landing and, and called it rogue and said it was a 1 in 20 poll. It was really low um, and, you know, it's probably fair to say that the Colmar Brunton poll has probably brought things back to a little bit more where we think they probably are. If you compare the Colmar Brunton with what we've um, seen with the National Party's internal polling this week and what we're hearing in terms of the UMR polling, it's kind of sitting more around that early 30s uh, for the National Party. That 2025 20, in the News Hub Read Research poll was an absolute shocker for National and uh, they would de- definitely be hoping that that was rogue, um, that's for sure. Awesome. Um, also um, in these polls, there was some interesting news about minor parties with the Green Party on the edge of 5%, um, New Zealand first down on 2%, and ACT having their most positive poll in years on 5%. Could you talk to us a bit more about this? Yeah, I mean, David Seymour will be um, doing quite a bit of fist pumping, I imagine, after that Colmar Brunton poll. He'd be pretty ecstatic. Um, that is the highest that the ACT Party has got in the Colmar Brunton poll in 17 years, hitting that um, 5 percentage points. That would give ACT five more friends in Parliament, um, so pretty big deal for him. And, you know, in terms of Greens and New Zealand First, the Greens traditionally have polled higher leading up to an election and then drop back a bit. So if you look at them hanging around that 5%, um, you know, if they were to drop, then obviously they'd fall under that threshold, which wouldn't be good. This is a different situation, though, this election, because they are a support governing partner, which is, um, you know, they're not usually in that government relationship. So um, I don't think you can kind of do an apples to apples comparison with that. Uh, You know, having spoken to James Shaw about this, he's actually just pretty stoked that they are actually just hanging around that 5% mark. Um, You know, that's what they need. And given they have been in government, um, and Labour obviously is getting a lot of attention, the Prime Minister's really soaked up the oxygen throughout COVID, it has been quite difficult for the Greens. So they'll be looking forward to getting on the campaign trail where all of the political parties have a lot more visibility and it's a a lot more um, of an even playing field for parties at that point because there certainly has been, um, you know, a lot more 
spotlight and attention um, on the Labour Party over the, the last few months, especially during that lockdown period. In terms of New Zealand First, I mean, they just don't like public polls. Uh, Winston Peters has always refused to actually um, comment on them. Um, he's, you know, sticking by that. So kind of beside the point, I guess, in some ways with New Zealand First, because you can't get a gauge from him as to what he thinks about it anyway. Sweet. Um, and after saying all that, the government has been in a bit of news uh, this week with the announcement about charging people who temporarily sort of go in and out of New Zealand. Um, could you talk to us a bit about this and if it was a good move from the government? Yeah, so this is about the the cost at the border. Um, obviously, we're having increasingly large numbers of uh, Kiwis returning to New Zealand as um, COVID-19 continues to sort of ravage a lot of countries overseas. And, you know, New Zealand's in a really unique position where we're basically um, back to, to normal life. And so a lot of people are, are coming back. And, you know, there is a cost with that. And... The government um, has been, you know, taxpayers have been footing that bill, but there has been this discussion for a couple of months now about whether, you know, there needs to be some of that cost passed on to people coming back because this isn't going to go away in a couple of months. You know, this is going to be, we're going to be quarantining and um, managed isolation for people for potentially years. So Labor kind of threw it up there, the, the government sorry, threw it up there as something that they might do. National came out quite quickly and said that they would support that and thought it was a good idea. Um, New Zealand First has also been on board with it, but the Greens have never agreed with it. Um, there has been a lot of kickback from New Zealanders living overseas. Um, we're seeing a lot of stories out of you know London, um, places where you know Kiwis traditionally go and work for a couple of years and sort of saying, well, we couldn't afford $3,000 to come back and see family and it's our country and we should be allowed to come in. So there has been a lot of debate about it. Now, the Greens have actually had a win, so it's, it's been a good week for the Greens. Um, they said to Labor that they would um, only support it if it was sort of narrowed. So rather than a universal policy where everyone paid, um, they put limits on it. So where it stands, um, and this legislation is going to be passed under urgency in Parliament next week, um, Kiwis entering the country temporarily or who leave after these regulations come into force will be charged for managed isolation. Um, so the cost is $3,100 per person in a room, $950 for each additional adult and then $475 um, for children. And to that, so at the moment we've got a situation where $479 million has already been set aside to pay for those costs for the rest of the year. The revenue that will come back from this scheme, which is quite a narrow scheme, will be about $10 million and it's likely to come into place in about two or three weeks. Um, and there will still be some exemptions for people like um, diplomats coming in from overseas, uh, New Zealand citizens deported to New Zealand, um, anyone travelling to New Zealand to attend the sentencing of the Christchurch mosque attack accused, and also refugees and protected persons. Now, New Zealand First is, just thinks it's you know ridiculous that it's so narrow. Um, National's not on board with it either, and, and says, well, why are we even wasting Parliament's time given it's um, you know going to cover so few people? Uh, but like I said, you know, a win for the Greens, who we're never going to support a universal policy. Um, so, you know, some money will be recouped, but it's not going to be anywhere near what the bulk of, you know, Parliament had hoped for when they first started talking about this a, a few months ago now. And that's us for another week. 
Thanks to National Party leader Judith Collins for joining us, as well as Joe Moyer from RNZ. Be sure to give No Filter NZ a search on Facebook and Instagram for even more political content. We'll see you back here same time, same place, next week on the No Filter Podcast. The No Filter Podcast was produced by students at the New Zealand Broadcasting School.